0: It's the Skinny Podcast,
1: only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com Digital Sports Common Center with Rick Broering. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We are really hopeful that this week's podcast will not be outdated within an hour and a half of us broadcasting as it, much like last week's was. Though it was a little outdated with our Travis Steele conversation and Xavier coaching conversation, we totally botched Kentucky, did we not?
0: Well, it wasn't just Kentucky. All of our NCAA tournament takes were pretty terrible, except for our locks. We did have Auburn. I had Auburn minus 15, which was never in doubt, thank you. Or, you know, never in doubt, except for the entire game up until the last two or three minutes.
1: It doesn't matter, man. When you cover, you cover.
0: That's right. But yeah, no, that was that was a pretty awful podcast to be quite honest. People letting us uh, know about it, and, and I mean, it was pretty obvious by listening to that podcast. We had zero clue what was about to happen within an hour in terms of Xavier getting rid of Travis Steele.
1: Well, you know, you say that, Rick, but you're the one that broke the story. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of a yin and yang. Listen, I'm going to fess up when I mess up. I know you do too. I thought, I thought we, I thought you kind of rolled us both under the bus with some of your conversation with the Twitter followers. So we do apologize, but keep in mind, the guy that I'm doing this podcast with is the guy that about an hour after we got done with this podcast last week, did break the Travis Steel news.
0: Well, I mean, I can think that tells you kind of how crazy the timing of it all was is that no one had a clue that that was really coming down with it, but we got other stuff to get to first. We will talk about the Xavier news here in a little bit, but first, the big news of the week in the Cincinnati sports world was of course the Cincinnati Bengals addressing one of their major needs as on Sunday. They signed former Dallas Cowboys offensive tackle Lyle Collins in free agency. The deal is three years worth up to 30 million, but in reality it's more of a two year, 20 million deal. Uh, yeah. According uh, to Schefter.
1: Yeah. They kind of did what they did with, um, with Riley reef this year. They just put an extra year on there to spread the cap hit out. So yeah, it is, it is technically a, a three-year deal by the by the letter of it, but it's basically a two-year deal from a playing perspective. Going into year three, they would have to, to renegotiate, much like they would have had to do with Riley Reef in, in order to re-sign him.
0: So, Skinny, we'll start here. How big of a deal is this for the Bengals, to add
1: Collins? I, I think it's a big deal. Um, listen, if, if you'd have told me, Rick, that they were going to go kind of tit-for-tat at tight end, and I think that's what they did with Hayden Hurst for C.J. Uzama, And if they would have, um, you know, uh, addressed either B.J. Hill or Larry Ogunjobi, which they did, and then would have addressed two of the three spots on the offensive line, if you'd have gotten a center and a tackle or a guard and a tackle or the center and the guard, I just said, yeah, you did pretty good. If they'd gone center and guard and re signed Rally-Reef, I would have said, hey, okay, you did pretty good. Uh, This, you did really good. Um, You've got three bona fide NFL-proven starters on that offensive line, two with Super Bowl rings, another coming from a playoff team, I think that's the other part. They keep getting guys from winning cultures, and I think that's huge. I, I, I think it it's where they want to go when they're addressing needs. It's maybe not always the greatest player or the best player or spending top dollar on one guy and then getting a bunch of bums. It's finding right fits. And while Ted Karras in a vacuum isn't great, and Alex Kappa isn't great, and Lyle Collins has some, some issues too, they're all three really, really good at upgrades and coming from winning cultures. And I think that means a ton to what they're trying to do.
0: I don't think there's any question that the Bengals have upgraded here. But with Collins, you mentioned there are some issues there. Specifically, those issues are there's some baggage. He's been suspended multiple times for the NFL's drug policy that you go all the way back to his draft day where he slipped from potential first-rounder to undrafted because he was caught up in a, a murder case that, you know, ultimately didn't lead to him, but he was still involved in some way and his name was being brought up. And then there's been some recent injury history as well. And his play did slip within the last year. Plus how much does that baggage concern you with him?
1: It it should concern you some, but, but I think I'm going to give this organization right now. I may not have said this four years ago, five years ago, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt on vetting guys. Um, Listen, they have not missed much in free agency, Rick. And really, the biggest miss, and, and they ended up cutting him yesterday, is Trey Wayne's. And that's not because Trey Wayne sucked; it's because Trey Wayne's got hurt. And so I'm going to give them a pass for that part of it. That was a guy who didn't have an injury history. But I think they've done a really good job of vetting players, and and so I'm going to have to say I trust them to have vetted Lyle Collins properly. Um, yes, we all know the baggage up front, um, you know, but I'm I'm going to give them benefit of the doubt here, and I think they've earned that in the last few years with the guys they've brought in.
0: It is strange. It, I've, I've had to accept multiple times over the last few weeks that this is a new era of Bengals football and Cincinnati sports fandom. It, it just is. We have to deal with the fact that the Bengals are willing to spend money in free agency. People think the Bengals are the place to be. Like Collins's comments after he got signed were just felt like they were in a twilight zone or something saying, where else would you want to be other than Cincinnati? It's like, wait. who us is he saying that about oh okay uh that was very bizarre and then you've got the whole Cincinnati Reds situation going on on top of it where it's like the Bengals are now the team that spends the money and is making a run at things and the Reds are the national embarrassment to our city it's just a very strange sports sports world that we're all living in now that I I really didn't see coming the one thing with Collins that I think is interesting everybody's been talking about Burrow and how Burrow got the deal done, and he's going to be Burrow's body guard, and what a big deal this is for Joe Burrow. And obviously, if that's the case, you got to find a way to protect that guy. But one guy that I think gets lost in all of this, and what a big deal it is for him, is Joe Mixon. I mean, Joe Mixon has never had an offensive line like this to block for him. Collins is a physically imposing, super fast and athletic tackle that can really do some damage, especially when he's pulling in the run game. And you combine all those guys with Frank Pollock. I think that it's like getting overlooked a little bit, how big of a difference this might make for Joe Mixon too.
1: Joe Mixon won an AFC rushing title with Alex Redman as a starting guard and Bobby Hart as a starting tackle. Think about that.
0: He's, he's been through it in terms of the guys blocking up front for him. He has not had an easy road since he started here.
1: Yeah, way way more than Joe Burrow, to be honest with you. But yeah, um, no, I I think it is a big deal for him, too, and and that's the part of it. Uh, Listen, the the part that, that to me, just is mind-boggling. Now, I will tell you, obviously, the AFC itself has gotten significantly better, so we can't look at it and just go, well, the Bengals automatically addressed their needs or automatically going back to the Super Bowl. It, it, It just doesn't work that way. but. They're bringing all eleven starters back from the team that started on defense in the Super Bowl, when they brought Eli Apple back, and they're hopefully going to upgrade through the through the upgrade through the draft there. Um, and and now you've addressed your specific need on offense, and you've got all the other parts back. That just doesn't happen in this league very often. It really doesn't. There's just so many moving parts that this team had all these other guys under contract, all these key uh, skill position superstars kind of your anchor at left tackle, and you'd like him to continue to evolve and get better. I mean, he wasn't great last year. He wasn't awful, Jonah Williams. Um, but th- that's the part this team has, has addressed its needs the last couple of offseasons, and now you've got a roster that this was the roster I thought was the ro- type of roster that says, okay, now you make a run for the playoffs for, for a consistent number of years. Well, they jumped the gun with that last year. Now, the interesting part is the expectations are so high. I don't know how they meet them without going back to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. And I think it's gotten harder now than it was last year.
0: That's a good point. You you talk about the expectations, and we're all talking so positively about the Bengals right now. And everyone is. You turn on national talk shows, they're talking about the Bengals and, and, and hyping them up. It's everywhere you look. So let's do what we do best skinny. Let's go in the other direction. Why should Bengals fans not be over the top excited right now? Give us the pessimistic view of all of this. What, what's go, what could go wrong for the Bengals right now with the way this offseason has started off.
1: That other teams in the conference and in the division got better, got significantly better. I mean, I look at that chargers team on paper and go, damn, that is almost super team related. On paper. Now they, they got to do it, but on paper, Hey, Kansas City, yeah, they lost a couple of guys in the secondary. They still got number fifteen playing quarterback. Denver had a had a, had a playoff caliber defense, and all they've done is gone out and got a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Um, hell, Rick, I'm not so sure that that in the in the AFC East that the worst team in there now isn't the New England Patriots. For goodness sakes.
0: Well, and let's not forget that the Steelers got Mitch
1: Trubisky. Yeah, let's not forget that. But <laughs> I, I will say. Uh, Listen, Mitch Trubisky's not going to be worse than Men Roethlisberger last year. They're not going to ask him to throw it 50 times like they asked poor Ben to do it last year. And oh, by the way, the Steelers did upgrade on the offensive line. They got James Daniels at a tackle, so they got better. And they're the worst team in the division, probably.
0: What other position should the Bengals be looking to upgrade if they make more moves in free agency?
1: I, I, I don't think I, I, they're done, to be honest with you. I, I think they'll probably get a second-tier corner, Perhaps. Um, you know, people look at that cap number and I had a bunch of people throwing 23 mil at me yesterday and I said, no, they have not put the Lyle Collins contract in the, in the percolator yet. They've not put Eli Apple's contract in the percolator yet. So you still got to put those, they they signed Stanley Morgan and while it's not very much money. That's still another mil that you got to put in the percolator. They got to pay those guys. So you're down to probably a cap number of 10 mil. And I've made this mention before uh, they account for about an extra 14 mil for some other things. They, they they set money aside in case guys get hurt in order to sign them. They they account for their practice squad, the draft picks, all those things. So I don't think that uh, this Stefan Gilmore stuff to me is nonsensical talk. I, I I don't see that even coming close to taking place. I think it's an agent trying to pump up players' value, to be honest with you. So I, I think if if they're lucky, you're getting a second-tier corner who's probably going to be a depth piece, and then they're going to address corner in the draft.
0: All of that being said, they are committing about twenty-five million dollars oh, yes. a year on average to these three linemen. So they've they've oh, yes. gone out and made a splash. Right. without question. No,
1: no, I no, I'm I'm not crapping on them at all. I
0: no, I, listen, I realize I, that. I, I,
1: but but I think everybody everybody sees that. Oh, they still got this money left in the cap. Well, it's not completely true. I just I've, I've said that a thousand times. I've written that a thousand times, and people don't want to hear that. But it just it's a it's a it's a fact. And the other part to it is you can argue, well, what if nobody gets hurt? They don't have to say, well, then, then they have rollover money. And let's not forget, they're going to have to probably roll some money the next couple of years because a certain quarterback's going to be up. And as we've seen in the quarterback market right now, Rick, that number is astra-freaking-nomical.
0: Skinny, did you have any other thoughts on NFL free agency as a whole, maybe Deshaun Watson to the Browns, I've, anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've just never – I'm not sure I've ever seen a period like this where so many guys – came into one conference, to be honest with you, and, and just the, the amount of movement of, I don't want to say, I, yeah, of star-level players, I mean, especially the quarterback market. You think about think about the, the seismic shift in quarterbacks we've had, with Deshaun Watson going to Cleveland, Russell Wilson going to Denver, Matt Ryan going to Indy, Carson Wentz going to Washington. He's not star power, but he's certainly been a starting quarterback in this league. That's a lot of movement in quarterbacks in offseason. I think what you're seeing is, I really wonder how much of this, if we talk about the Joe Burrow effect of getting players, But I really wonder if this past Super Bowl showed teams, hey, you know, Matthew Stafford was not really highly thought of in Detroit other than his talent. But, boy, you know what? They finally got some people around him, and damn, was he good. And, oh, my, we all know how good we thought Joe Burrow was coming out of college. And, oh, look what he's done to a franchise in two years. We better have that guy. We don't want to have that guy. We don't hope we, we better have that guy. And I think that's what you saw a lot of these teams that are of playoff caliber or close to it in other position groups go, we better go get that guy.
0: Uh, On one hand, it's an arms race in the AFC right now, so everyone's got to stock up if they want to have a chance. But then on the other side of it, to your point, what the Bengals just showed going from one of the worst teams in the NFL, period, if not the worst over the previous two years, to what they were this year, which is in the Super Bowl and had a legit chance to win it all, all of a sudden that kind of provides a little hope for everyone, right? Like you can make that turnaround that fast in the NFL. It is set up to – But you've got to have the guy but you, you got to have, have the, the guy Anderson. and you also got to make a lot of savvy moves. The Bengals that gets lost in it. as great as Joe Burrow was the Bengals piled two or three years worth of savvy free agent signings back to back to back. Now, not all of them were realized right away because they had some injuries, but that, that had a lot to do with it as well. And not all these teams are doing that to go with it, but still you you're right. I mean, the, it is an arms race right now in the AFC. It
1: is nuts. Yeah, the one thing I'll be honest in wondering, Rick, is this. I I do wonder if they hadn't failed so miserably in drafts in like 15, 16, and 17 with the two offensive tackles and even going to 18 with Billy Price and John Ross, if they would have taken this leap of faith forward to say, you know what, we've got to address needs in free agency moving forward. We just have to. We can't always just draft and retain, draft and retain. While on the surface that sounds like a great formula, and it is when you're drafting great, all of a sudden, when you didn't draft great, it made them dip their toe into this, or they would have sunk even faster. They would have been in the abyss for a longer period of time. It made them the last three offseasons go, let's giddy up. And, and honestly, I don't know how much of that credit goes to Zach. Maybe it's a Zach Taylor thing that he came in when he took the job and said, listen, you guys got to do some things differently if we're going to do this right. We need to get into free agency. We need to, to be to be more active in it. You know, maybe Marv was never a big free agency guy. And again, I Marvin did some really good things. And and, and we're going to look back at division's history and go, yeah, you know what? Thank goodness for his stabilization of this franchise for the for the period of time he was here. And yeah, he didn't get it done in the playoffs, but he got him there half the time in the playoffs. But maybe the shift of philosophy was was letting him go and saying, all right, now, what do you want to do? You want to get into free agency and get more proven guys? All right, let's do it. He I don't goes. know who the credit goes to. I don't, Everybody's giving Duke Tobin the credit, and maybe it is Duke. Maybe it was Duke all along, and he and Marvin just clashed to the point where Marvin thought he could address some things to the draft. They kept trying to do it and they whiffed and Marvin left and Duke was able to do his thing.
0: You're right. And it's funny. You start talking about going down that line of if they weren't so bad in those drafts back to back to back years, do you ever get to this point? But it also gives you, do you ever get Joe Burrow? Would you have just been good enough that you never get to draft first and never get Joe Burrow? And I mean, it's all, it's, you know, it's, hard to piece all those puzzle pieces together at this point, but it is funny when you start going down that line of thinking of where would this have taken them? Where would that have taken them? But do you ever get Joe Burrow is is part of that. You suffered to get Joe Burrow. And I think everyone would agree that was worth it at this point. All right, let's switch gears here to the basketball side of things where there's a lot of new, I mean, this is just becoming a big part of the college basketball story cycle every year when you get to this time of year all of a sudden the news just starts breaking left and right and there's a lot of local college basketball news to get to we'll start with Xavier because minutes after we stopped recording last week's podcast news started trickling down that Xavier was mutually agreeing to part ways with Travis Steele the Musketeers then made big waves on Saturday when they announced that they agreed to terms with former coach Sean Miller to return to XU what do you think of Xavier's coaching change Skinny?
1: Well, I was on that, that bandwagon that said it was time for Travis that they had to move on from that. So we'll do this in two separate ways. I, I think that was the that was the right decision. I still go back to it, it obviously came down unwieldy the way it happened because Sean was flirting with South Carolina and vice versa and Xavier's timetable got moved up. Because so, we talked about on the podcast last week the concept of Sean Miller and you tried to lay out a timeline of, you know, I asked, you know, if you were going to go for a Sean, why in the world would you take the NIT bid? And you mentioned, you know, the players and, you know, maybe they're just trying to buy some time to vet Sean a little bit more. And, you know, you even brought up the point of maybe Travis coaches another year and they vet give give Sean that full year to figure all of this out and, and all of those things. And obviously the timeline got moved up. So I think in the in the first move, it was the right decision, no matter how it came down, that, that Travis Steele's not coaching Xavier any longer. Um, the Sean Miller one is, look, you made a deal with the devil, but you're not the first in college basketball to do it. And I think that's where we are. I mean, I, I know... People are going to get on their high horse, and and, and and I even joke to you, boy, this doesn't seem like the Xavier way. Well, nobody cares. The Xavier fans don't care. They just want a college basketball coach that's going to win for them. Listen, that that's where we're at in life. You just want somebody that's going to get the job done. But you kind of made a deal with the devil. You made a deal with a guy that's got some baggage now, um, and you're going to have to live with that. Uh, you may have to live with him missing some games in, in this upcoming season, for goodness sakes. I don't think you're going to have to live with him facing a show cause which is a big deal, but you're probably gonna have to live with him missing a few games and the sneers that come with that. And you know what, as a fan, usually you're not going to care about the sneers if the guy guy wins. And the guy is a proven winner, right or wrong, whatever you think of Sean Miller, the guy is a proven winner.
0: I just keep going back to, I have to think, as Xavier was looking over these cases and trying to get as much information as possible, you look at Bruce Pearl, who is facing the same charge that Sean Miller is the NCAA, which is it's most serious. It's a level one violation, but it's for failure to monitor your program, which essentially means, you know, your assistant coaches were doing illegal things that they weren't allowed to be doing. You didn't, you weren't involved. You didn't know about them, but you should have known about them is essentially what that says. That's what has been put on Sean Miller. His assistants, they've been charged with other stuff. The program has uh, four other counts, but there's only one That is levied against him. Same situation Bruce Pearl faced. But the big difference is Bruce Pearl already had a one-year show cause. Right. Or maybe more than one year. He had a show cause, period. And what was it, like three or four years from the Tennessee stuff? It was Uh, longer than one year,
1: right? Yeah, because he did TV for at least a couple, didn't he?
0: Yeah. So you look back to that and you think, okay, so after all that, he gets two games, out of this more recent scandal, the same scandal that uh, the FBI won in 2017 that Arizona got caught up in, he only gets two games. I have to think Xavier was looking at that thinking, well, Sean doesn't have any history, and granted, he had two assistants involved in stuff as opposed to just one, but Bruce Pearl's only getting two games? How, how could, you know, Sean cooperated, which obviously if you look at Mark Gottfried's situation, he didn't cooperate, he got a one-year show cause. He's also already been hit with out. He's, more he, violations that uh, out. placed this last spring. Yeah, and now he's fired. But th- there's a lot of variance to how these rulings have come down. If if I were to set the over under, or if you were to set the over under, where would you put it at for how many games you think Sean might get?
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, that that Greg Christopher, who was on the infractions committee at one point, knows enough to know that it might not be any games, Rick.
0: I find that hard to believe. I think he'll I definitely t- get too. suspended and fined of some sort.
1: I, I do too. And you know what? If you get suspended for five games, you miss three bye games and probably one of those tournament thingamajobbers. So what? Yeah.
0: Xavier might have its softest non-conference schedule of all time next year. What yeah.
1: I really mean, really no, I, I, don't th- I don't think that part's a big deal, even <laughs> if he gets games.
0: How big of a concern are his last three years at Arizona? Because they didn't make the tournament. That's, a, that's after this whole FBI thing happened. So that could have affected recruiting and all of those things. But how much do you look back at that and think it was just a tumultuous time at Arizona and then COVID happened or how much of it is he might've been slipping and you're concerned about him as a coach?
1: Yeah. I'm going to give you glass half empty, glass half full, glass half full says it was a tumultuous time. And it just, that's kind of how things shake down before you lose your job. Like the way he did glass glass half empty says, Yeah, maybe that's why he stopped getting good players is because he stopped cheating to get them.
0: It's an interesting way to look at it. There's also the idea some people have brought up in this new transfer portal portal era where it's harder to coach guys hard and and beyond them like you are. Is he losing that aspect of connecting with the younger players, but here's the thing
1: that I don't well, buy. He had DeAndre, he had, he had DeAndre Ayton for a year that worked out pretty well. Did it not? It did.
0: And, and, and here's the other thing that I don't buy with that is Sean Miller. Yes. He's a tough coach, but he has never once been the type of coach that like his guys don't get along with. Well, for the most part, most of his players love Sean Miller and they let him coach them hard because they, they have a really good relationship with them. So I, I find that part of it pretty hard to buy personally, and well,
1: I, so the other part, Rick, is in, in a lot of these guys, and myself included, I wasn't a great player, but I'm a hard-ass coach. Tom Izzo, I don't even know where he played if he played. Um, coach K played at Army, for goodness sake, so he was not a high-level player. Some of those guys that are, ha- are hard-asses because they weren't talented guys. It's just the way that they had to do it. Sean Miller was a damn good player, so I think he knows how to relate to players because he was a damn good one himself.
0: Right. I would agree. I don't think him relating to younger players or anything like that is really a concern. It's something I've seen brought up online explaining those last three years. I'm not buying that personally, uh, regardless of issues with the NCAA at the end of the day, when you say Xavier just added Sean Miller, it makes people take notice in the big East. And if you were saying Xavier added Dennis Gates, Lamont Paris, uh, who, 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 what are the other flavor of the month guys that have just Matt, been hired? Matt,
1: Matt, Matt McMahon, who just Matt got hired.
0: Um, Golden down in Florida. Down,
1: yeah. From San Francisco. Yeah. Those, those kind of guys. Yes.
0: No one cares. No one notices that no one bats an eyelash. You think Jay Wright cares about that? I mean, no, that, right, that's right. the thing. It, it does. People take notice when you add Sean Miller, that's what type what? of coach he is. That's the type of success he has had in the past.
1: Yeah. The, the other part of this too, though, is, is this is what your fan base wanted. You you appease the fan base. And if this doesn't work, you can always just say, listen, I got the guy that I thought you guys wanted. I'll try to do this better the next time through. Now, maybe Greg Christopher doesn't get it next time through, but this isn't like, listen, there's a part of the fan base that's probably cringing at some of the things we're talking about, the negative sides of this. And there are some negative sides to this. Oh, this isn't the Xavier way. And this guy is a proven cheater. I'm, I'm throwing that out there. The people are, are I guarantee there's some of that. And I get it. Um, I don't like Cal for, and I'm a Kentucky grad. I don't like Cal for goodness sakes. I, I get for a lot of the same things, but um, the, the part though, this is the guy, the fan base wanted at the end of the day, you got the guy that he wanted Whether that holds water in the big East or nationally, within, it doesn't matter. This is the one that the, that the fans wanted. Um, and that, that's what makes it a home run higher for them.
0: Yeah. But I do think that national part of it matters because there is perspective about these jobs and the hierarchy and everything. Essentially, what we just saw happen, Skinny, was Sean Miller and his agent held up South Carolina with a gun to their back and leveraged them into getting a job at Xavier. I mean, even if if that's not what happened, that's the way it looks to everyone nationally. They went to an SEC school and leveraged it for a job for less money at Xavier. That's a good look for Xavier from a national perspective and where it ranks
1: as a job. Yeah, because they—I mean, from a financial standpoint, they were never going to come close to what South Carolina could offer.
0: Right, and that's an SEC school. I mean, that's just that—that's it's something. I mean, it's not—it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it's not nothing either. It's a good look for Xavier from uh, where you rank in this hierarchy of college basketball thing at this point. Uh, The other thing I, I do think about in terms of hiring process, I think the retread route is a good route to go. I think taking a step back for a year can provide great insights and clarity for a college coach. I think not just with how you run your team and how you recruit and those types of things, but even just how you treat the people around you and how you act day to day and and how you let things weigh on you from a mental perspective and and, and how that impacts you all, all the time. I think, I mean, Bruce Pearl is probably the best example. But yeah, there are I, I other was going to say I get, really can good you give
1: me, Can you give me another one? Because he's the only one that came in my head when you said that. Rick Barnes has done a pretty good job. Yeah, good point. Um,
0: I think this guy isn't near at Sean Miller's level, and that's why Bruce Pearl is a more interesting comparison because they have both had good success in, in the past. But Shaka Smart at Marquette this year, I thought, was. a a really nice change a guy that people weren't really that high on, but he's already proven he can win both at the mid-major level. And he didn't do bad things at Texas. He just wasn't winning at the level Texas wanted him to. So he he beat the mob out of there and, and ended up in a good spot in Marquette for him. And, And he did really well there his first year. So I think, you know, he wasn't a guy who sat out a year like Sean Miller did, which I think is really valuable for these coaches. But I do think those guys that have experience that have been through it all that understand how to build a roster at this level, understand what it takes to win in the tournament and those types of things. I think that does matter. And I think that can be a really good route for making a hire.
1: Yeah. And I, I I just go back to this. This is what your fan base wanted. You gave them what your fan base wanted that, that and that matters.
0: Yeah. One interesting aspect of this has been having a head coaching hire who just made a bunch of media content for the last several months. (laughs) <laughs> it's been weird consuming, like all these podcasts he's been doing and it, he's talking I and mean, he's made references to Xavier and what a great job it is. And he's made references to what he wants to do when he gets his next team and things that he's insights he's had since he's been sitting out and watching all these other teams. So that's been a very unique aspect of all of this. I think the fans have enjoyed that. I've enjoyed that. It, it gives you something to do when you're waiting for a, a head coaching press conference, which they can't have because Xavier won't lose a game all of a sudden in the NIT. I mean, this team skinny 75, 73, Tuesday night, they beat Vanderbilt to advance to the semifinals of the NIT. Did you think we would ever see this group win three games in a row again?
1: No, I, it, it, no, I did not. Um, it, it felt like a team that should have checked out after it took the NIT bid. Right. I mean, it was guys that kind of checked out as the season went along. Why, why would you check back in for the NIT? And then you lose your, your, your star point guard on top of all of this. Um you know, I give, and some of this I know is by by default, but I give Jonas Hayes some credit for kind of tweaking the lineup to what we talked about all year. Go to four guards and one big and play with that. And it's worked out nicely.
0: Yeah, Xavier still being alive in the NIT right now has to be driving everybody crazy behind the scenes. Yeah. Like as much well, as they want to put on a smiley face and be like, hey, we're happy. But you know, the administration and everybody that's like trying to deal with the coaching change right now is losing their minds.
1: Yeah, I just, I, I like the Florida game where you have two interim coaches in a tournament going at each other. How good is that? How, how screwed up is that?
0: <laughs> it's bizarre. And then now you're headed to St. Bonaventure where it's already be, being reported that Mark Schmidt is going to take the UMass job after the
1: NIT is over. So And, uh, and, and obviously he's got a tie to Xavier too, so there we go. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's been an interesting trip through the NIT for the Musketeers. All right, over to UC, who now has four players in the transfer portal. Which oh, no,
1: they don't. They, la- no, last time
0: this happened, they had to oh. start all over and fire their coach. So uh not sure if we'll have to see that again. But Mike Saunders, Mason Madsen, A.J. McGinnis, and walk-on forward Rob Banks have all entered the transfer portal to this point as we're fire recording him.
1: this. Fire him. <laughs> Listen, it must be a mass exodus. I mean, what is going on here?
0: What do you think of the UC transfer portal news so far? Skyway? I'm
1: going to guess that Wes Miller has swallowed really hard with this and gone. Thank you. He talked about wanting to bring the guys back if they wanted to come back. And I think that was admirable, but he needs to fix the roster. He knows he needs to fix the roster and what a better way to fix the roster than guys saying I'm out.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think any of these guys are good enough. So it's not really a enough. loss. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I've thought that since they got there, the The key for UC this offseason, isn't really about who they lose at all. No one.
1: I do have a quick question before we get to that, though, and I, and I mean this sincerely. What is this, too, for John Brandon's lawsuit where he, he can come back and go, those guys left him, too. One year after they left me and I got fired for it, he left them, too. It's a great question. I mean, you would cause, think- cause Matt Because Madsen was one of them. Saunders was one of them, right? Right. Hmm. Right. Right. No, I mean, you
0: would think that would matter somewhat. I don't know what all is in that lawsuit at this I don't point either. and what they're arguing about. But you would think you'd point to that and be like, hey, it, you got this was supposed to be like some big upheaval and ruining the program and burning it all down. This is just part of normal everyday life in the NCAA now. Like yeah. Four guys leave. It's not six guys leave. It's not the craziest thing in the world. We're going to continue to see that. People just didn't realize it when it first happened and UC was one of the first ones. Right, right. To me, the key for UC isn't really about who they lose at all this offseason. It's right. who they add. I mean, they have no, to get the, Would you, a significant amount more talent.
1: Yeah, and that's my point. I mean, for, for Wes Miller, it was nice of him to say, hey, I'll, I'll have these guys come back if they want to come back. When deep down, he knew he was hoping and probably expecting some of these guys to say sayonara, because that's the that's the big thing he needs. He needs better players. And you got to have open roster spots to get better players, or you got to run guys off. What a better way to not have to run guys off then have guys just say i'm out anyway.
0: Right. I will say i'm i'm high on incoming recruit Daniel Skillings. He's like 6'5", six, 66ish six, wing who can confident score, really good length, long arms, all that. I think he's going to, he has a chance to be really good. Josh Reed is another incoming recruit that i think could be a solid rotation guy. And then Sage Tolentino from Hamilton, the 7-footer. You know, you know how seven footers are at this stage. Usually, they're yeah, a little bit I, of a project.
1: I, I, I saw him in high school. I was not a big fan. I, I, th- I think he does have some skill, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm meh on him. And but yeah, he is seven feet tall, and you don't teach that. By the way, as we're recording this podcast, I just got a push alert from local twelve, where uh, apparently Miami and their head coach Jack Owens have agreed to part ways. So there's some more on the coaching carousel.
0: Well, and that's given Travis Steele's situation, that might be an interesting.
1: That is interesting. Now spot. that you bring that up.
0: <laughs> but yeah, and anything else on UC and where they're at right
1: now? No, I, I listen, that, that was the part that had to get. I mean, I, I, it was hard to judge Wes Miller coaching other than I thought he, his guys have played hard from start to finish. I think we talked about I think they ran out of gas because um, they weren't good enough offensively, and that's why the defense started to suffer. But the bottom line wasn't him doing anything different. It was him going and getting better players. And this is a great way to do it with guys leaving and opening up spots. He needs the the more better players he can get via recruiting or obviously through the transfer portal, the better. And now he's got some openings to do that with.
0: Well, and as of right now, as we're recording this, we don't know what David DeJulius is doing. He hasn't said one way or another, if he's coming back, if he doesn't come back, you are really going to need some dudes in the transfer portal. Yep. Not just a, a guy that can help you. I mean, a go-to type score and maybe multiple of them because you needed another one this year as it was with the Julius. So uh, they, they really have some work to do. There is not an easy or clear path to a successful team next year.
1: No, either. you're right. You're and right, then but you've but got it, a whole, but but whole
0: other big group of guys leaving in terms of where your scholarships are at. So like that first year in the Big 12 could get really interesting all of a sudden if you don't find some guys here this year.
1: But it, it does give you the opening to go find some guys this year, though. Yes.
0: Yeah, which they needed. All right, switching over to the other side of the river, NKU has a couple of players in the transfer portal now, Skinny, but they also have one big name returning for a fifth season. David Bam and Adrian Nelson are both entering the portal, looking for opportunities to play elsewhere. However, Trayvon Faulkner has announced that he's coming back for a fifth year with the Norse. What do you make of the Norse's transfer portal news so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess Adrian Nelson can get offset by, who's the kid that sat out this year as a transfer, Rick? You'll know the name, and I don't know the name of the kid is it the kid from Detroit? Who was the kid that sat out? Was a well, big?
0: He played the kid that Chris Brandon played from Detroit this year. Yeah, he was the, the back.
1: No, no, there was another kid. I thought that sat out a big,
0: no, there's no kid sitting there. There's a, there's a freshman, Emmanuel Zorgval who redshirted this year. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Maybe that's the, what I was thinking
1: of. The coaching staff
0: is high on him for sure.
1: Yeah. That's probably who I was thinking of. Yeah. The fact that Faulkner's coming back is the big part of it. Cause now you got the band back together in the backcourt and, and listen in the, in that offense, do you, do you need, listen, Adrian Nelson was a nice role piece and did his job. I, I think you can find that guy.
0: Yeah, and, and like you're saying, I don't think this is as much about Adrian Nelson going on to play at a higher level. I think it's more about he wants some playing time and he's getting squeezed. He was already getting squeezed out this right. year. He got relegated to the bench and was seeing less and less playing time. You go on another year and they introduced Emmanuel Zorgvall you brought up, a, a freshman from Suriname that sat out this year as a red shirt. He was really, really skinny when he first came in at six eleven as a shot blocker. He's added some weight sitting out this season during his red shirt year, but they're really high on him. I think he's going to be a bit of a project. It may take him some time to, to really figure it out. He's, he's very raw and and short on actual basketball experience, but a talented kid. And I think they're going to try to get him in as much as possible right away as a red shirt freshman. So th- there's that. And then, you, when you talk about Sam Vincent, Marquez Warwick, Trayvon Faulkner, Trey Robinson, and Chris Brandon, to me you've got five starting caliber guys right off the top right there. Vincent, everyone talks about things clicked much better for the offense when he moved off the ball and Bryson Langdon played the point this year. We don't know what Bryson Langdon's doing yet, if he's coming back for a fifth year, if he's looking to go elsewhere. Uh, but it, even, whether they have Bryson Langdon back or not, I think through the transfer portal – they're likely to address point guard or combo guard, some type of ball handler to add to the mix.
1: Or guilty miles in center.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I do not see that happening.
1: I'm Um, spitballing here. Do, Do you know if they were in on Mitchell Riley from Kovkath? They were not. They were not. Okay. They're not. Cause now yep. that obviously he had committed to Miami and obviously with the coaching change, I wonder if that would change Mitchell's mind at all for, for looking at some other place.
0: That's a good question. Yeah. I don't believe that they recruited him at all. I don't think he had an offer from NKU, but okay. it's not out of the question. If he decommits and opens things back up, right. he obviously had a really nice performance.
1: I, I, I think he's a great, I, think he'd be, I don't know if he's a Mac level player. I think he'd be great in the horizon league. He's six, eight long um, athletic runs the floor, all those things, shot blocker, rebounder, uh, finisher, um, I, I think in that league, I think he'd be a great fit.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think he'd be effective. One other bit of Horizon League transfer news that'll interest NKU people, Grant Vasily from Wright State announced that he went to the transfer portal. So that's their star big man right, who right. helped lead them in the NCAA tournament. That's uh, pretty big news in the Horizon he, he, League. He, and change you know he's their a good fit?
1: He, he looks like he'd be a great fit at like a Loyola, wouldn't he?
0: Yeah, I could see him being like an A-10 level guy even. Right. Right. All right. And then finally, oh boy, (laughs) for the 10th time in tournament history, a number 15 seed beat a two seed. St. Peter's took down Kentucky in overtime 85 to 79. It was also the fifth biggest upset in tournament history from a point spread perspective.
1: Also, the biggest upset in tournament history from a basketball budget perspective. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) That's the truth.
0: I, I, I saw that. What was your reaction to Kentucky's upset loss to St. Peter's on Thursday?
1: Um that if Cal had any honor, he'd walk away from his contract and let Kentucky start over as opposed to him having to be paid off $44 million. Whoever gave him that buyout's an idiot. 52. Uh, that
0: 44 number was wrong, they said. It's 52. Oh, 52 actually. Shame
1: on shame on me. I, I wish I'd have I wish it was 44. Um, that's Kentucky's- what it was
0: originally being reported at. They it was got corrected yesterday. People found out it's actually 52. It goes down by six million every year.
1: Here's the here's the thing: the, the, the transfer portal and the departure of Worldwide West, I think, have really affected Cal with the one and done thing because he's not getting the elite level player any longer. And he didn't build a program; he built a year to year system, which was working fine do. for a while. But he didn't build a program, and I guess maybe nobody builds a program anymore because of the transfer portal. But l- listen, it's time for a change. And I, I, I and I guess I didn't think of the racial component of this when I put it on Twitter after the loss. Can you just imagine, go back to the Tubby Smith era, and again, I, I I didn't even think about the racial component of this, and I didn't mean it as such. I meant it just from a coaching perspective and, and the, the of fans' perspective, because they got tired of first and second round losses. What if Tubby Smith had had the worst record in Kentucky basketball history, followed by a first round exit as a number two seed? How do you think that would have gone with the fan base? And I still see part of the fan base going, I still believe in Cal. I think he'll get it turned around. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, they ran Tubby out for less, actually. Yes, that.
1: they did, Chris. Yes, they did, Rick. Far, he made the tournament every year. Cal's missed it twice, and now he had a first-round exit as a two-seed. He, le- he never lost a first-round game.
0: Well, I think the thing you've seen with Cal that's more concerning is there's a, a steady decline since he took over, right? Like, yes. it has changed drastically here in the last five years, maybe. Since
1: the, since the Wisconsin loss, this has been a very mediocre program.
0: Yeah, it has. And... I think you have a really good point about if you're turning over your roster every year the way that he does, it is really difficult to figure that equation out of how you're competitive if you're not going to have the best player or two of the best six players in the country every year like he has had going back to his team that won a championship or some of the other Final Four teams he had. He's not getting that guy anymore, or at least not consistently enough. And it's not working out the same way. And in terms of the whole transfer portal and how teams now deal with flipping the roster over quicker, we've seen some other coaches have success with that. He doesn't really seem to have a system in place for how to do that, how to build his team with a roster that fits together with enough shooting, enough experience and enough toughness and enough winners to go with the freshman or two that's going to be the star for that year. He hasn't figured that side of it out yet, I don't think.
1: Well, I mean, are you going to ask him to do it now at this age and this late in his career? Well, I mean, he's starting to try. You can't say he
0: didn't change it up a little bit last year. Bringing in a, like a guy like Kellen Grady, and in theory, he was supposed to have C.J. Frederick, Frederick, too, right, right. makes you a little bit different of a team. I mean, he, he is trying to do it differently. I just don't think he's gotten to the point that he knows how to do it yet.
1: And then you, you I think it's fair to question in-game coaching ability.
0: There's some of that has, has the game changed enough that he needs to really change what he's doing. Although I I still go back to one, you need more shooting period. He, he did a better job with that this year, but it's just hard to win in this day and age when everyone understands how much the three point shot is worth compared to the two and and they're going to continue to, to beat you with the three and, and, and equalize things that way. I think you have to do it. We saw the same thing with Xavier on a different scale where Xavier struggled for four straight years shooting the three and it costs Travis Steele his job. So I think part of it's that. And then people talk about the dribble drive a lot. I just, I'm one who just doesn't believe X's and O's matter in that way. I think almost any system will work if you have the right guys in place.
1: There's no question. Yeah, I, I agree with that part there's no question, but you know, but at the same time, <laughs> you, I, it feels like you're almost trapped now that you, you better hope he turns things around because you are on the hook for a big chunk of money unless he walks away from it.
0: I think what happens eventually if it just stays on a steady decline is he does eventually walk away, but it's not going to be before we're a few more to several more years down this path.
1: And at that point, if, if you're, if you're, and that's where I kept going with the whole one and done it. At what point if he leaves, do you suddenly look up and go, wait a minute, they got two guys on the roster for next year and this new coach has to build a pro. Well, good luck to you guy.
0: Well, and here's the other side of that that I always think is hilarious when you're talking about Kentucky fans especially. Hypothetically, let's just say they could they got $52 million, Someone says, I'm paying it right now. There's no option. He tells the president, you just have to do it. It's their most important donor. I'm going to pay it. You don't have a choice, or I'm leaving. I'm pulling my money. Who would actually make UK fans feel good great if question. they were to change coaches? A great what question. coach would be good enough for UK fans right now?
1: That is a great question. That, that, that's a legit great question.
0: I mean, Bill Self, maybe. <laughs> You're not getting him, but Bill Self would. But UK fans be happy with Bill Self?
1: Yeah, I mean, you got John Shire taking over a blue blood. You got Bill Self with a blue blood. Kentucky's still a blue blood. Huber how Davis? Cron- how about how about if Mick Cronin gets UCLA to another Final Four?
0: Man, I c- can you see him as the head coach no, at UK? No, I, I don't think the personality would work. No, I don't either. And I'm afraid to see what the, the short jokes would amount to from those rednecks yelling at him <laughs> and God, yeah, is, God forbid his brother gets a horse
1: pick wrong. Yeah. Well, they'd be back in horse country though. I mean, you know, I guess you could argue if this is two more years down the road and Kenny Payne does spectacular things in Louisville, do you lure Kenny Payne away? Yeah. That's I mean, that's, big, and that's a big, and that's a big if. Yeah.
0: That's a, that's a really big if. Cause I think he just walked into an almost impossible situation.
1: Okay, yep. I'll, throw, I'll throw the name out. You're going to laugh.
0: Brad Stevens, R. Patino. Oh yeah, actually, that's one of the few names that I think you could you could make it work. And yep, I mean, how old is he at this point? Seventy something. Yeah, his
1: face looks like he's about ninety-seven, but I think he's close to seventy. Yes,
0: with a huge buyout. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're talking in a hypothetical, so I'm we're, we're talking about names you. Can't necessarily get, but yeah, he's well, sixty nine. Well, how how appropriate is this? Rick Pitino is sixty nine years old. This yeah, is the year to get him.
1: Perfect. Um, I, I I would say. I mean, we talked about Sean Miller coming home again. I mean, can you come home again?
0: Yeah, Rick Pitino. I'd put probably at the top of that list. Out of people, they'd be happy with. Yeah, I think it'd be Rick Pitino. I think it'd be Billy Donovan.
1: Yeah, Billy Donovan for sure. I that's, would he leave the NBA at this point? Maybe.
0: Yeah, I think Brad Stevens. Um, but I mean, all of these are names that you almost certainly can't get. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what a good hypothetical name would be that Kentucky fans would actually be happy with. I'm not saying Cal's perfect or anything like that, but I just, I I don't think there is a good answer when you're actually talking about UK fans and what makes them happy.
1: There's a uh, there's a guy trying to restore his image down in Texas that won a couple of junior college championships and has taken a school from Division two to Division one and did some almost beat Gonzaga this year.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not a good idea for either party. I think he's trying to get sober.
1: Go go ahead and say the name. Just just Billy clad. Yep. There you go.
0: Skinny, What the hell happened in the St. Peter's game? Does it make sense to you that Shibway went for 30 and 16 and they still lost to St. They Peters? still lost.
1: They were up six with the basketball and still lost to St. Peter's.
0: If you would have told me they're losing to St. Peter's, I would have said, okay, so Shibway got in foul trouble or they right. took him out of the game somehow with like a zone defense that UK just couldn't figure out. But well, that they wasn't it. He got well,
1: 30 and 16. Well, I will say though, they did go to that matchup zone late and Cal couldn't figure it out.
0: Yeah. They lost to Doug. I, I, that game just made no sense. I, I I went to Dickman's the other night and was talking to some some guys and asked they were talking about like what what happened and I don't have an explanation for what happened in that game. They just got beat by well
1: a bunch of that, undersized dudes. That, that's that's part of it and 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 you know maybe it makes you feel better that St. Peter's won its next game and they're in the, in the Sweet Sixteen at this point. Uh, maybe no I like, no
0: I, no I don't think it does. I don't think it oh, does. if I'm a UK fan. I, I think okay. that would not make me feel better at all. No I know one else played even
1: remotely well, other than Shibway in that game. My my wife knows my feelings on Cal, but I still want Kentucky to to win to a certain extent. So I watched the game with her um, the other night, and as it as it finalized, she looked at me and I knew not to say a damn word. I just got up and left, and then she told me as I'm walking away, I'm not watching another game in the tournament, and she hasn't.
0: <laughs> well, and now Cal is saying uh, Shade and Sharp might be gone to the NBA as well, so didn't even get to <laughs> see him.
1: Was was that? Was that a bit weird that he didn't play him?
0: I'm not sure what happened there.
1: I, I'm not either. I know he's using the whole, you know, I didn't think he was going to be ramped up in time and ready. And we talked about it and we thought this was the best for him. And was it try not to expose him to the NBA that maybe he sucks? Well, you know I think, I think, think that's always a good out.
0: strategy, by the way, the unknown is like NBA no GMs question. cannot resist that. So no, no I think question. that's a great strategy for Shaden Sharp in terms of a making money perspective, but in terms of a Kentucky winning basketball games, I, I didn't get it at all. I, don't I didn't either. Know what happened there? Yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk about the NCAA tournament a little bit.
1: Sure. You're
0: you have any other thoughts overall that have really stuck out to you?
1: I, I'll be honest with you though. I, I thought the weekend of games was great. It, it always is, but I, I really did. I mean, the Arizona game was great. Uh, Gonzaga's game was, was pushed. uh you know, the St. Peter story is a cool one. Uh, you know, even even I know it hurts Kentucky fans, but it's still a cool story to watch uh, that team now in the Sweet 16, kind of Florida Gulf Coast-like, of who are they, where are they. It's going to get Shaheen Holloway, and maybe he was going to get the job anyway. It's going to give him the Seton Hall job. Uh, and like I said, maybe even if they had just made the tournament in Kentucky to had kicked him in the teeth, he would have gotten that job anyway, and he probably would have. But, yeah, I, and I think the team, you know, it's funny. When the dust is going to settle, we're going to look at, at a very representative Final Four when all is said and done.
0: Yeah, I think we will too, but well, one of the things I loved about people talking about our predictions on here from the last podcast, it's like, well, let me see your bracket and how it looks right now. If you had it picked this way, the way it was played out, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. This isn't a good bracket the way it's fallen. This is an insane bracket the way we have it set up for the Sweet 16.
1: I mean, I I still don't make any sense. Yeah, I still have two of my two of my Final Fours left. You know, I, I've I've liked Arizona all along. That ain't good I, for the Sweet Sixteen, Chief. I know you, but you you and I both like Houston, and here they are with a chance if they beat Arizona to make the Final Four again. I I called Michigan a dark horse to win a couple of games, and they did. So I wasn't completely off off balance with it, but there just were enough upsets that made you go, "This is this is why the tournament's so great."
0: It is. It is. Give me, do you have a favorite matchup for the Sweet 16? Not your favorite bet. We'll do that in a second. But what's your favorite matchup out of these games?
1: Oh, I think Houston, Arizona. Absolutely. By far. That's yeah, a great I mean, game. I, I, it's, a, it's a final four. It's a national championship level game.
0: I agree with you. That, that was the one that I had circled without question. I'm interested to see what Providence can do against Kansas.
1: And I think they th- get their teeth kicked in. I do, but I'll give them this, man. They're one of the teams I doubted. I had a 13 seed beat them in the first round in South Dakota State thinking they're going to make a bunch of threes. And the luck factor is real for Providence and all those things. And I look up and Providence is where they're supposed to be based on their seed. And the Sweet 16 is a four seed. Yeah.
0: And that's why, I, you know, everyone's been riding that train so hard that Providence has defined the Ken Palm metrics and all of that and went in with their luck. Uh, can they keep it going? It's become a fun storyline. I'm anxious for that game. Obviously we'll watch the St. Peter's game just because I don't expect that to be a very good game though. A lot of, I mean, like can there be a worse matchup than Miami, Iowa state? And it might be, end up being the best game of the tournament. It might go into 15 overtimes for all I know. I'm not talking about whether or not it'll be a good basketball game or an entertaining basketball game. I'm just saying from a matchup perspective, who the hell cares about those two
1: teams? Who wants to see that game in the sweet 16? I'm noting you, but again, I'm the, I'll tip the cap guy. I I thought Iowa state was trash. I think they both um, stink. That's why I don't want to uh, watch Miami, the sweet 16. Miami's got a couple of, Miami's got a couple of dudes that, that I, I like. Stink. Um, And and God love Jim Laranaga. Maybe he can coach a little bit.
0: I do agree with that. I do agree with that, but I, I have, I mean, again, this is good because of the way these takes have been going here on this podcast, that game will end up being a multi-overtime game. I'm telling you right sure. now.
1: Forty-seven, forty-five, Miami.
0: <laughs> I, I'm just, I just, it's a, it's a crappy matchup for the Sweet 60. All right, well, give me your
1: favorite bet. Give me your no, favorite. No, you know, bat. you know what, 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 should be a good matchup, and I just can't get myself to like them. I don't know why. Maybe it's because their coach looks like a nerd bucket, and he's doing a great job. I can't get myself to, to, to embrace that Texas Tech is actually pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, they are. That's an. I will say that's an interesting game. It too. is. Because Texas Tech is actually favored by a point there.
1: They, are, I, yeah, yeah, you're actually right. They are.
0: And, I mean, we've talked enough about Duke's talent. They've got five first-round picks, potentially, on that Duke team. I, that's actually one of the bets I kind of like. Duke being an underdog right there in Coach K's final tournament where it seems like everything's breaking their way.
1: Well, that feels like they're trying to reel you in with that wager, though, my
0: friend. Well, it certainly does. And I think Texas Tech has been the better team. But that just seems like it's too, it's too good. To I was just saying, I, I think it.
1: all these lines are really interesting. Gonzaga 9.5 against Arkansas. Is it an Arkansas team that doesn't make shots, or is it an Arkansas team that makes shots? Because it could get run right off the floor. Nova 5 over Michigan. Seems pretty light to me. I love Nova, um, but Michigan's playing with some house money and playing really well. Arizona-Houston. Arizona's only 1.5 over Houston, and I can make a case – for both of those teams and, and feel good about it and, and place a wager on both sides. Maybe I'll place a wager on Arizona at a pick'em and take Houston, bet them up to like three and have a little bit of a spread in there, a little 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 move. Then the Friday games, I love Kansas laying in the 7.5 because I think the luck factor runs out for Providence, but they keep finding ways to, to win, and, and if they even make this close like they probably will, it's 7.5. UCLA's only 2.5 over Carolina. Carolina's playing great. But UCLA's got dudes back from a Final Four team, and here they are again on the cusp, on the doorstep of it. So, so yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to make a case in a lot of these games. I love your Duke plus one, but it feels like they're just reeling you in, bro.
0: It does. But in terms of the game, in terms of my favorite lines right here, honestly, I think the best line, the line that makes the most sense when I look at it is Purdue minus 12 and a half over St. Peter's. The problem is that doesn't feel good. Nobody wants to be rooting for Purdue in right, the sweet correct. 16 over St. Peter's. So in it's a like blow, in a blowout. Right. And that's, I mean, that's the last thing I want to bet on, but logically, if I'm trying to find my favorite
1: bet, I took an Auburn minus 15. I've got, in the I've first got mine. round. Who I've is it? Who do you like? Miami I don't minus love any three. of these. Yeah. I don't love any of them, but, but, but you're pinning me against the wall, which I like. I'm going to take Miami minus the two and a half against. I think Iowa state's trash. I just do. I, I, I kind of like that answer because I agree with you on Iowa state.
0: Man, it's tough. It really is tough. If you're trying to pick one game where you say, I feel really good about that one. There's not a line like that here in the sweet 16, which is pretty impressive. Yes, it is. It's rare. I feel that way. I, in some ways, I think I just kind of want to go with the heaviest favorites, like Purdue Gonzaga, and Kansas. You're right. Those feel like the best values.
1: But I'm with you. I don't want to have to root for Purdue to win by 13 or
0: 14. No, not over St. Peter's. That's no fun. So I'm not playing that. I think I think I'm going to go Duke as my favorite bet here. I'm going to go Duke money line.
1: That's a good call. I mean, it's it, it is funny to see them be the underdog. here as the two seed that people argued, uh, although people did argue they shouldn't have been a two seed. So maybe they got overseeded. Maybe Texas Tech should be the favorite in this game. As, and probably should be. Maybe they should have been the two seed.
0: I, I think you uh, you have a valid argument there. All right, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything. We've got a, a handful of questions. We'll start with a certain owner of a certain MLB team attends the same Sunday Mass as I do. Is it appropriate to air my grievances with his ownership style while still in church or outside after Mass? Also, do you think he's actually taking from the
1: collection, please? <laughs> That's a great one. Um, I think it's fair to address him in a civil manner outside of Mass. How about I- that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing is you've uh you're doing it under the guise of God being on both of your minds at the time. Right. Like, so there's not going to be like a physical altercation at that point with an 80 year old man.
1: Right. And, and do, do you maybe just go to him and, and and say, uh, Bob, did you find Jesus in a right handed pitcher while you're in there?
0: Or just maybe that's how you bring it up and say, look, while I was saying my rosary, I did throw in a couple extra Hail Marys for hopes that you might be able to land us a right-handed pitcher. On the way. <laughs> He's going to look over
1: and go, i got problems with my lettuce at the moment. can't spend no money on no pitcher. Get out of my face. Supply chain. Supply chain.
0: All right. It's uh, a good at, one, though. At what outside temperature do you feel comfortable wearing your summertime short pants, Skinny? Uh,
1: f- f- uh, 50, 50-ish, 52-ish.
0: Really? So yeah. have you already busted them out yet?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was outside uh, with, the, with the dog, uh, what was it, a couple mornings ago, When it was probably actually in the high 40s and felt comfortable.
0: Summertime short pants, it's a season.
1: I've got, in fact, I've already got two two summertime short pants that are already in the laundry.
0: There we go. So. Uh, skinny, at the height of your athletic prowess, at what height would the rim need to be for you
1: to dunk? Oh, boy. Um I was never a great leaper either. I'll, I'll oh, say that's eight, a shock to hear. I'll say eight and a half feet, eight feet. Well, eight, and a, eight and a half is better than I thought you were going to say. Well, because here's the thing for me, and, and this is probably true for a lot of guys my size, or probably even you, I can't palm the basketball, so I'm going to have to be able. I have to dunk two-handed, too.
0: I have tiny hands, really tiny hands, well, so that is a problem.
1: Need, okay, thanks, Joe Burrow. Um, yep yeah I mean I, 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 I guess I could in theory try to cup it a little bit but I would have to dunk two-handed. I will say one of the most fun things I ever ever did playing sports was um, this was when I was in high school we went down to a friend's aunt's house down in Winchester Kentucky and this was this was in the like I guess the late eight, or late 70s, early 80s and they had one of those they, for some reason she had an adjustable rim. So we played a three on three game with the, with the height at like seven and a half feet where you were feeling oh. like you were seven feet tall, dunking everything, throwing lobs. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can dunk. I just had, it's gotta be a certain height. It's just like, I, I got Cause I got to do it two-handed.
0: We used to do that constantly. Anyone who had the gorillas, you know, the ones with the crank yep. on the yep. bottom that come yep. down real easy. Uh, those were the best if anybody had those growing up. And then we had one friend in the neighborhood who had An adjustable rim built in, and then at the other end, we brought someone else's adjustable hoop that was like on wheels. Oh wow! To the other end of the the little driveway spot they had behind their house, and we played like a full court. It was maybe only forty feet between the two, but oh yeah, it was just basically get a rebound and throw an outlet oop on every play.
1: Yeah, or or just work on a little finger roll post move. (laughs) Yeah, I was a big below the rim guy, even at seven and a half feet. It means you you still got to block out, Rick. You can't just hit and go get. You got to you got to hold your block out. Then lots of reverse
0: layups back in the day on the lots seven of reverse layups. That's right. Yep. Protect
1: Use the use the rim to protect against yep, the shot exactly. blocker. Finish exactly. on the
0: other side. Maybe come back down on the ground before you actually release, but no one's going to call that.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, uh, Skinny. Are you a name brand guy, a generic brand guy, or mostly a generic brand guy with specific things you'll only buy name brand?
1: Um. Yeah, that's a good question, because we do, I mean, is is like Kroger Private Select, Kroger Private Select, is that generic?
0: Yeah, I think that'd be. We have
1: a lot of that in the house. I I would say I'm a name brand guy with lunch meat, like Oscar Mayer, Bologna, Boar's Head, Ham, and Roast Beef, Um, uh, cheeses have to be name brand. What Um, about like
0: clothing?
1: Oh, clothing?
0: What about, yeah, well, other dude, things. dude, That's
1: I've crazy. got so much logo wear in my closet that I would know. I say, back when polos were a thing, polo polo shirts, I was a big polo shirt guy in college. I would go to the mall probably once a week to get a new polo shirt.
0: <laughs> nice. I really would. I had a full. I had a Stunt closet on, full a, on
1: Friday night at the bar. I, yeah, I, I I had a closet full of different colored polo shirts back in the day. Did you, did you pair them up with like a matching hat? No, I was never a big hat guy. Really? Yeah didn't, didn't think- go quite didn't go quite that far but yeah I was a big polo I was a big polo guy. I was a big Ralph Lauren sweater guy back in the day
0: <laughs> I can see that I can see that what about Tommy Hilfiger did you rock some Hilfiger was that I did not okay. not a
1: ton but I had a couple of Tommy Hilf- Hilfiger Hilfiger uh, button down shirts Nice And of course some Tommy Hilfiger cologne you had to have that Well no question I I think I'm mostly You seem like an Axe body spray guy to me Rick <laughs> No
0: not a body spray, not a cologne guy at all. Uh, I, I was I, I think I'm actually specific generic brand guy. I really like finding like one thing that's kind of off the beaten path that I really like. And then I go all in on that. Like like what? Like what? Like uh, I had found a certain black V-neck shirt from Kohl's. That was like apartment nine. They're like house brand or whatever. Okay. And okay. I just wore nothing but that for like four or five years until they quit making them. And now I'm like, screwed. I have nothing. I have no yeah, uniform I- anymore. I had a uniform for like four years Now I've got nothing. It's, it's terrible. I've been trying to find an, a good replacement for that. But like pens, the same. My, my guilty pleasure in life. I know you've talked about this. Yeah. Is going like finding like black market pens from like Japan or China that have like a nice felt tip or needle I- tip.
1: In fact, I'm going to have to look in my drawer right now and see what, see what I've got for pen. Let me see. I'm just going to pull out a random pen, Rick. This one is expressscripts.com. Um, this one is, well, here's a Marriott pen. Um, what else we got in here? Oh, here's a St. E marker. St. Elizabeth Healthcare Marker I've got. And wait a minute. Ooh, oh, here's a Hilton pen. So there's the first four I pulled out. So I, I'm more of just grab and go kind of a pen guy.
0: I'll say this. My pen searches, my pen Google searches probably have me on some type of list somewhere with the federal government. The type <laughs> of things that I've looked up just to get a good pen at a decent price is uh, That's great. shameful. That is yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, someone asked, where do you stand on hummus and does it make it into the dip rotation?
1: No, nah, it does not. Um, I, I will say that commercial for the, the that they've done for hummus with the with the red peppers, a little spicy. It, it looks like it might be pretty good. It just, I don't know. It, maybe it's a texture thing for me. I, and I, I'm with you. I like certain dips, but that just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I don't know why it just, hummus doesn't say it's soybean, right? Chickpeas. Chickpeas rather. I'm sorry. Yeah. Chickpeas. Yeah. And, uh, and I like chickpeas on salad. You go down to Joe Bologna's in Lexington. They put chickpeas on salad. They're damn good by the way, but I just can't do it. I think
0: hummus is one of those things where every time you look, there's a new, Flavor of hummus where they're trying to cover up the actual taste of hummus. You know, it's like like spicy hummus or cinnamon hummus or chocolate, like all this crazy crap they do with hummus. And it's like, well, it's just because no one actually likes hummus, right?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm kind of wondering.
0: Yeah. It's like supposed to be the healthier dip or something. I don't know. Healthy people always bring it, vegetarians bring it and stuff. And it's always like, no one eat, you know what? Just don't bring anything. You eat the stuff that we bring because you like this. Don't even worry about the hummus. We'll just skip out on that. It's no big deal. Hummus and, tofu.
1: To hummus and tofu burgers for everybody.
0: Yeah. It's like, just read the room a little bit, folks, you and know, wash
1: it down with a 12 pack of beer to be really healthy.
0: <laughs> That's right. All right. We'll finish up with this from Jake. What are some unwritten rules of journalism? Unwritten rules.
1: Um, I guess there's a lot of them. Uh, no cheering in the press box is one because it's technically not written, but there's always that guy, right?
0: Unless the team you're covering is playing in the NIT, and you're Uh-oh. trying to get the other team. <laughs> to win.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've been that guy before too. The 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 opposite guy. Um, no, I I do think in a lot of ways there's a lot of people in our industry that are a lot of that are full of it and full of themselves. A lot of times with some of these rules, um, I do believe there's you know. Certainly, it's a, it's a written rule. I mean, and and, it, and the, this line has been certainly grayed by a lot of websites is stealing other people's information without giving them attribution. It's not really a written rule, I guess, for lack of a better term. But it happens so often now that the line's so blurred.
0: Yeah. Also, don't sext your sources. There's that. That's an unwritten rule. That that's that, yeah. That's a good call. Do, it's happened in this market before. Just saying, don't be that guy. <laughs>
1: That's a good call. That's a good one.
0: That's a good one. You don't want to be that guy. I got,
1: I got nothing else on that topic.
0: Yeah. Sorry. That I I mean, there's just, you know, really journalism's the wild, wild West.
1: It is these days. It's more the wild, wild West these days than ever before. The line of, of journalism and opinion, that's the part of it too is there is a line that's been blurred from, from journalism and just objective reporting in anything to everybody having to have a hot take or, or their opinion. And then people get mad at that when really that's what you're getting. You know, I've, I've had, I've done some stuff for our website where people have not liked what I've written. They're like, well, that, uh, but I'm a columnist. I'm supposed to have an opinion on certain things. Do you not get that people?
0: Yeah. The, the funny thing is that's not, they don't want just reporting because then they complain, oh, you're not giving us enough. Like right. I want your thoughts on what you right. think is going to right. happen. And then, you know, so it is what it is. No one really understands what people's jobs are in the media. They just like to get really mad at the people in the media. and yes. That's kind of what you sign up for. And that's fun.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. I, I, I just have to live with it.
0: Yeah, so do exactly. you. All right. All
1: right that's Rick, all we got. Uh, by the way, congratulations on breaking that story um, on the Travis Steele story. Um, I, I know that uh, that you work hard to get, get your sources and you did a really good job with that. So just want to leave it at that. All right, we will be back uh, next week as we inch closer to some Reds opening day. I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to fill the summertime void because of how bad this team might be. Um, oh, yeah, Luis Castillo may not be ready for opening day in case anybody's wondering. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be back next week, talk some more college basketball, uh, talk some more, uh, talk some Reds, and uh, we're inching closer to the NFL draft, which we have to start to talk about a little bit, too. So join us for that. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Poole 3 edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of the Prime Red.